I am Plant on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. If uh, you're in New York City anytime between now and mid-March 2023, check out the Al Hirschfeld installation, the inaugural exhibition at the New Museum of Broadway. They're on uh, 45th and 7th, not too far from Times Square. Hirschfeld, the timeless and talented chronicler of the Great White Way through his legendary cartoons, was a prodigious, prolific artist who appeared in the New York Times chronicling most of the 20th century of Broadway and beyond. If you're nowhere near Manhattan, then there's the new book, The American Theatre as Seen by Hirschfeld, 1962-2002. It's a remarkable, outstanding book featuring some of Hirschfeld's art for the last half of his life, a remarkable 50 years until his death in 1999 and 2003. He'd uh, published a similar book in 1961, so this follow-up has... uh, been awaited for more than 60 years. And what a second half. There are remarkable depictions of Zero Mostel, Carol Channing, Liza Minnelli, Elaine Stritch, and Ben Vereen to uh, all the beloved characters in shows from uh, Funny Girl, Cabaret, Annie, Sweeney Todd, Les Miserables, Fences, Phantom of the Opera, Chicago, Rent, Angels in America, and Hairspray. They are uh, wrongly described as caricatures as they're more than simply that. There are also editorial cartoons or depictions by a real master, an equally creative force in the theater, capturing the personality of these theatrical figures as they were on or off the stage. Hirschfeld is somebody who has shaped popular culture. And I'll uh, talk now to David Leopold, creative director of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation, who edited this very fine book about the Hirschfeld he knew. He was archivist for Hirschfeld and a close colleague for many years. Visit alhirschfeldfoundationshop.org for information on the book and more. The website also has a place where you can search Hirschfeld's work from 1914 to 2003. I'll ask Mr. Leopold, who joined me from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, one week ago, about what Hirschfeld was like, how he worked, and those famous Ninas, the name of his daughter, who he'd incorporate in his work. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, David Leopold. Mr. Leopold, good morning. Uh, hi, how you doing? Pretty good yourself. I'm doing great, thank you very much. When did you uh, first meet Al Hirschfeld? When did I first meet Al Hirschfeld was in uh, late 1989. I see. Uh, I was doing some research on a contemporary of his, uh, whose drawings also appeared in the New York Times and the Herald Tribune. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, as I was looking through the clippings of this artist's work, his, his name was Ben Soloway, uh, I saw that Hirschfeld drawings were right next to them, or sometimes on the back of them. Mm-hmm. And I finally had this, you know, uh, eureka moment, like, oh, I should contact Al Hirschfeld to see if what he knows. And I looked him up in the phone book, and uh, he was there, but uh, I was 23 years old, and I was scared to call. <laughs> I, didn't, I thought, you know, you didn't call Olympus. And so I wrote him a letter, and he wrote me back probably the warmest note I've ever received from someone who was not a family member. And he invited me, next time I was in Fun City, to come by and to stop by and quaff some tea. So I did, um, and hit it off with him, thinking I was such a great, you know, I remember leaving thinking, you've hit it off with Al Hirschfeld, you're you're doing great, David. And then I learned that he hit it off with everybody because he was just this very nice guy. Mm. Who, who was interested in people. Yeah. And you see that in his work, and then as, as we read the book, um, we, we also learn, um, someone says that the kindness was a weakness for him. 
Um, and, and I guess that applies to the work itself in terms of um, uh, he, he wasn't, I mean, when you look at the work, the people, some of the people look amusing, um, but it was never mean-spirited, was it? No, he, uh, that's not how he saw the world. And uh, I would probably uh, disagree with the statement that kindness is a weakness. Mm. Somehow, you look at old photos, which are very specific, uh, and they look like old photos. You can look at a Hirschfeld drawing from uh, 50 years ago, 75 years ago, almost 100 years ago, and it's surprising how fresh it looks. Yeah. And, I mean, I wouldn't mistake kindness for not knowing what he was looking at, um, he just, you know, he was an optimist, he was a life lover, and uh, he he cared about people, you know, and uh, he was interested in them. And so his drawings were a, an effort to capture the character that they were presenting, or even the whole character of their production. I mean, we call it caricature because we have to call it something. Yeah. But it's, he, he didn't do it in the way that, when you, when you refer to something, the caricature of something, it's usually a put-down. Sure. It's yeah. usually uh, you're laughing at the person. First of all, drawing, he uses exaggeration for emphasis, not for denigration. And, you know, you're laughing with the person rather than at them. And it's the reason, I mean, he drew the vainest people on the planet Earth. And we could, you know, they're, they are, they, the drawings uh, are, are all over the place in the sense of how they look because it really depended on the performance that they were giving but instead of being shunned by everybody in in the theater world or the film world tv whatever he was greeted with open arms because everybody loved to be drawn by hirschfeld because he made them sort of look more like themselves than they did yeah there's real art there and i think other artists say appreciated that or, or, or revered that um oh sure yeah and you know in many instances the work uh, adds to the mythos, say, of, of these larger-than-life characters on and off, um, I was going to say on and off the stage. Um, they they really do add something to um, how we perceive them. And, and you know, I, I grew up here in Vancouver. I've lived here my whole life. Uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've been to New York a couple of times, a few times. Mm -hmm. um, everything I knew about a lot of these people, whether it was Sondheim or... or um, you know, I've gone blank now in terms of some of the icons that he's drawn. And, and, and oh, Carol Channing, Vera yeah, Mustel. Over the years, the especially, um, you see the 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 the, uh, the, the, uh, the career, if you will, through Hirschfeld's eyes. And then I think that's how a lot of people think about these people, through through the way he saw them. Oh, without a, more people saw his drawings than saw the shows. Mm. I mean, that's true of virtually any show that he drew. I don't care how long the run is. Yeah. Uh, Phantom of the Opera has been on stage for more than 30 years. Uh, when Hirschfeld's drawing appeared in uh, 1988, more people saw that drawing on that day than we'll have seen in the whole run of, uh, uh, of the show. Um, so that's, that, that is the reach that his work had. Uh, you know, he didn't just record the world, uh, the the popular culture of of his time. He helped define it mm. because, as you say, more people. Uh, you know, y your view of a lot of uh, these individuals or productions uh, were really defined by what how Hirschfeld saw them. And Hirschfeld, 
you know, he most of his drawings, the drawings that you saw in the New York Times, where he appeared on average every other week for 75 years, and which, by the way, represents less than half of his work. Yeah, yeah. Um, he his drawings appeared the Sunday before the show opened, so he didn't know if it was going to be a hit or a flop, and mm. that wasn't his interest. He was this unique visual journalist who uh, reported in drawings rather than words. I mean, what's to me one of the amazing things about Hirschfeld's drawings, as I've looked through thousands of them, is he captures the essence of the show, but he never reveals the plot. Mm-hmm. You don't need a spoiler alert when you look at a Hirschfeld drawing, um, because he—that's he, not what he's about. You know, you know, there are the theater reviewers who tell you about the show and place it in context, and then there are the reviewers who just, you know, regurgitate the plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hirschfeld was more of the former rather than the latter. And so if, if, if the um, uh, pieces would appear the week before the, the show opened or the week that the show opened, um, mm-hmm. how, how would he work in terms of, of how he uh, saw the show? I mean, he, he was always a, at opening nights in the sort, Mr. First Nighter. Oh, sure. Um, but when he did his work for the for the paper, I, I guess he would be invited to rehearsals. Is that how he would capture these these people? Well, he would sometimes go to rehearsals, um, especially when they were in town. Um, but he would also, for most of his career, shows didn't open up on Broadway like they do now with a series of previews and then opening. They would do usually uh, 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 six to eight weeks of out-of-town tryouts. You would do two weeks in New Haven, two weeks in Boston, two mm-hmm. weeks in... Philadelphia, Washington, and Hirschfeld would go to those out-of-town tryouts. And he would make his sketches in the dark um, while while the show was happening. Um, he looked at the stage rather than the page. He taught himself how to draw in the dark. He thought it was sort of like typing, where you didn't need to look at your hands while you type. You know, he thought he didn't need to look at his pad while he drew, because in his words, he was looking for that collaboration of, uh, of sight and hand with no conscious thought of the controls because he was looking for the spontaneous drawing because those are the ones that had a spark to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, he would make his sketches. He would come back to his studio uh, and he would often ask for photographs from press agents because he wanted to make sure he got the details right, but he didn't redraw photographs. He just used them he claimed he had a faulty memory, which was completely not true. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he would work the alchemy of what he did, which I would love to tell you how he did it. But I mean, I can give you the the technique in the sense that he would start sketching in pencil uh-huh. on on board. Um, he worked on a pretty good sized board, twenty by thirty inches, and he would get the drawing to a you know he would sort of work out the composition. Not all the details, but he'd work out the composition. And then he would start to ink over that. Um, and those long sweeping lines are not the result of one pen uh, movement. They're actually, it, that is the culmination of a lot of little scratches. Mm. You know, the sound that I always heard when I was in the studio was this scratching sound. It was his pen. He used a crow quill pen. Did not use a variety of nibs. He only used one nib. And so all the the variation of line weights and styles you see in his drawings are something that he literally manufactured rather than used a, a 
once he was once he uh, completed the drawing in ink, he would erase any pencil lines, and that was the that was the finished work. So there isn't a lot of preparatory studies. Yeah. The sketchbooks have uh, information, but if he was and in the later years when when the shows went to pr- just being previews, he would go to previews. But producers started to get very nervous. Uh, you know, he was a member of the press, and mm. you know, maybe he would see a show that you know. So they were they they tried to keep him from coming to previews, uh, and sometimes he had to work just from photographs, which was which was not his uh, uh, first choice. But mm. he could do it, of course. There are a number of um, pieces in in the book that, that have color in them. Did he like working with color? Um. He preferred black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was resistant to doing color, particularly for the theater work, which almost always appeared in newspapers. Um, although there's famous color work, like his poster for My Fair Lady has lots of color in it, um, uh, because he understood where that was going to be printed and how it was going to be printed. In the newspapers, uh, when they first started using color in the New York Times in about 1994, well, probably a little bit earlier than that, but when it got to the arts and leisure section, um, he was uh, skeptical of it because it it, it often appeared off register, mm. and uh, um, so it looked like a 3D drawing without without having the glasses. So when they first asked him to do color work, he he turned it down um, for that reason. But eventually, his editor uh, convinced him to do it, and the first color work he ever did. For the times uh, was uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, mm. which, alas, he painted over the black and white drawing that he had already done for the show, which had dancing candlesticks and Mrs. Potts and yeah. all the crazy things we expect in Beauty and the Beast. Um, so, so he would work on these boards, and I, I, I didn't know how big they were, and I'm, 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 I'm astonished to see how big they, uh, to hear, I should say, how big they were. How mm-hmm. would they get to the mm-hmm. paper? <laughs> how would they get to the paper? Yeah. Uh, well, Hirschfeld worked all this time with the paper and almost never showed up at the offices. Um, he worked on a board that was, um, well, I would say for the last 25 years of his, uh, career maybe a little bit longer. The board was actually 21 by 27 inches, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason he did that because the largest envelope he could find was 22 by 28, and that's how he would send it over to the Times. He would put it in a big Manila envelope. He would often do these funny sketches for his editor over uh-huh. at the paper, uh-huh. and he would call up the paper and say it's ready, and they would send over a uh, messenger who would pick it up. It's one of the reasons he worked on board, because there was less chance of the messenger uh, damaging the work, because boards were pretty resilient. Right, right. And um, uh, as the archivist, uh, these boards would get to the paper, they would, uh, I don't know how they'd process it, I guess photograph it. Um, uh, literally the first thing they did when they got it was they would make a, a series of full-size reproductions. I see. Photostats, really. Yeah. Uh, because they were worried that something would happen with the drawing. And when the when the drawing appeared, um, they would send the drawing back to him yeah. with these full-size reproductions, which, uh, i gotta be, I've got to be honest with you, are almost as good as having the original drawings because mm. they capture all the lines. And for the new book, we went back to these full-size reproductions and did a lot of new photography because... 
a half of the works in this book have never been in a book before. Yeah. And the other fact is they had never appeared, any drawing that's in this book has never appeared as large as it does in this book, whether it was in the newspaper originally or any other Hirschfeld book. And so we wanted to make sure we had the best reproduction in there, and uh, you've seen it. I mean, it looks great, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're very pleased with that. Yeah, and then um, so we'd, we'd hear stories about the art, uh, the, the artists themselves wanting how they, you know, the, the, these uh, uh, pieces that they were depicted in. Um, oh, would, yeah, would he, sure. he would sell those to them? I guess, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, after a while, being drawn by Hirschfeld was a real sign that you had arrived. And you know, Tonys are wonderful. Everybody wants a Tony, but to look at, they're not so much to look at. But a Hirschfeld drawing, even if you were in a big flop, if you had a great Hirschfeld drawing, everybody wanted to hang that on their wall. And sometimes it was performers, sometimes it was producers, and every once in a while it would be a civilian that uh, would want to buy the drawing. Yeah. And, so and uh, you know, it, it, yeah. it was just part of, you know, like any other artist, uh, you know, he sold his work. And so, as the archivist, um, are, are there pieces that are lost, say, or, or is everything pretty much there? Oh no, he uh, he sold most of his work uh, during his lifetime. I mean, uh, especially in the later years, if if a producer or uh, a performer found out the show was being drawn, they would often contact him before the drawing was done or before it appeared, asking because they didn't know what it looked like, but. Uh-huh. Again, um, they, there are a few things in life we can count on, but uh, having a Hirschfeld drawing that would be interesting to look at is one of those things you could really count on and you could bet on. And so they would often try to buy it before it appeared. Uh, we, we've been very fortunate that um, over, the, over time we've been able to track down a number of drawings, but... Uh, a majority of his work, I'd like to tell you, I'd like to say different, but we don't know where it is, mm. and or, or even if it survived. I see. We just don't know that. Um, but every once in a while, something crazy happens. Um, uh, earlier this year, we were contacted by a fellow who claimed he had the original drawing of The King and I, the original production. And we get we get emails like this every week, uh, and it's almost always they do not have it. Mm. You know, they have a nice reproduction, or you know, because they say, "Oh, my grandfather was in the, you know, was worked for this producer, or my uncle was in the theater." You know, they have reasons why they believe it's original, but almost always it's not. This fellow writes to us, and I said, "Okay, send us some photos." Well, sure enough, it, it was the original. And when I asked how he came to have it, he told me that his father found it in a thrift store in New York in 1962 and bought it for $9.75. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and at that time, they would have been selling for $500. Right. Today, that drawing would sell for $50,000. Wow. Um, and Will, it's actually in uh, the, the companion exhibition at the Museum of Broadway. And uh, it'll get sold right after that, I'm sure. I'll bet, yeah. So you, you mentioned this exhibit at the New Museum of Broadway. Um, yeah. Up close, um, they must be fascinating to see. I mean, I, I've been dwelling over this book. 
um, <laughs> as I was Thank reading you. it, and and um, I'm sure in person it must be an experience altogether to see. I mean, uh, you've been acquainted with the work for for a very long time uh, and and knew him personally, but I, I'm yeah. sure people tell you when they see this in this museum that it's spectacular. Oh, without I, I I'm going to be honest with you. I've been looking at his work for. 34 years, 32 years yeah. uh, professionally, uh-huh. and I still get excited when I see it. The wow. originals, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, and that's true of any art you see. It, you know, we live in a world where we see uh, a painting in a, uh, in a book and we feel like we've seen the painting. But until you really see it in person, um, you, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's nothing like being in the presence. I mean, you're really... When you see the original drawings, you're really just one degree of separation from the hand of the artist. Yeah. And, you know, when you get up close, sometimes you can see a pencil line that didn't get erased or something like that. Um, I love it because Hirschfeld would often write these sort of whimsical, very funny little captions uh, on the drawings that were for people at the time to tell them. You know, yeah. Sometimes it was just like these are the people in it. But other times he would write something just humorous uh, about the show and when it was opening, or a, some, a, a one line about the plot. You know, it's it's really great stuff. Um, he was such excuse me, he was such a witty person all the way uh, in his life. You know, his drawings are witty, but he he that's who he was as a person. I mean, the drawings are a very accurate reflection of who Hirschfeld was. You know, simple on first uh, glance, but the more you spend time with them, the more sophisticated you understand that they are and what a real sort of um, student of the human nature that he was because that really informs so much of what he was drawing, you know, because he was looking for that character. Uh, of, you know, he, would, he said that he would take the character created by the playwright, portrayed by the actor, and reinvent it for the reader. And that's about as clear of a, uh, uh, an equation as we can get with Hirschfeld's work, and it's it's a hundred percent accurate. That's a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, and and, and you do you, you do have to spend time with it. You can't just look at these things once, and and be done with it. You you go back and and you marvel, and then you enjoy. Um, the the word Nina in the drawing. How did he sure. uh, feel about that? At some point, one would think that he was obligated to put them in. Did he feel like that? Um, I wouldn't say he felt obligated, but he, he, he had a great, uh, respect for his fellow man and for the audience of his work. And, uh, you know, when he first started it, he, he did it for a couple of weeks and then he stopped because he thought the joke had run its course. Uh-huh. He got a ton of mail and he kept doing it because it was easier than answering the mail. And he tried to stop it several times and he said he learned the hard way to make sure he put her name in the drawings before he put his name because nobody was looking for his name. Mm. And uh, I was in the studio one time. Uh, I spent 13 years visiting him in the studio at least once a week, uh-huh. uh, organizing the archive of his work. And he, you know, he was always drawing. There was always someone who had an assignment for Hirschfeld. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, we've never run out of new movies, new plays, new TV shows new records. I mean, uh-huh. there was always something for Hirschfeld to draw. Um, and one day I'm in the studio and he, he finishes a drawing and calls me over and, you know, it's great to see a Hirschfeld drawing right when it's finished. Yeah. And then he turns to me and says, 
how many Ninas do you see? And I thought it was a gag. I, I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, I found four, but I'm pretty sure there's five. And if I get the number wrong, there's going to be a lot of mail. <laughs> and I realized they came out organically. Yeah. You know, by that point, it was just part of his drawing. And he had to count them just like every. He had to find them and count them just like everybody else. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he would call it insane, which to him was, uh, you know, a big seal of approval. You know, he, he, he found people, you know, he found life insane. And he loved every minute of it. He found people ludicrous. And that was what interested him the most. You know, put him in nature. And he had nothing, he had no relationship to it. He, he described a photograph of the Grand Canyon as a, a close-up of a diseased molar uh, dramatically <laughs> lit. You know, <laughs> I mean, he, so his, his subject was people. And yeah. that's what he studied for almost 100 years. Exactly. Well, what did um, Nina herself, what did she think of, of um, her name in, in the, the, the pieces themselves? Did, did, I mean, what sort of relationship did she have with, with that over the years? Well, I mean, it's a strange fame to uh, be famous for something that you don't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also, she loved her father, still loves her father, and uh, you just took it, you know, as... Uh, you know, when you get any type of fame, you just sort of roll with it. Uh, but she's never tried to trade on it. You know, she's never, you know, uh, she actually likes to stay out of the spotlight. But everyone knows her name, and she she knows that. And uh, it, it's not something that defines her life. Mm-hmm. It's just a happy byproduct. And that people keep looking for her name is something that she sees as a, a, a great thing for her father more than for herself. Um, would you go to the theater with him? I never went to the theater with Hirschfeld, although uh, a handful of times we were there on the same night. I see. And it was always funny because uh, I hold the record for the most free lunches at the home of Al Hirschfeld. <laughs> and um, what we would talk about at lunch was typically the things that we saw, things that were going on. And, you know, there was a handful of times where Oh, what did you see? Oh, I was, you know, I saw this show, and he would say, I was there. And we realized that, you know, we were just sitting on opposite sides of the theater. Hirschfeld got better seats than I did. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we were there with friends, and, you know, or our spouses. You know, that was our interest, and, of course, the show. Um, But, you know, he he was a great theater audience. Yeah, and I really think he was probably uh, the theater's best friend because, just like you and me, I grew up. I did not grow up in New York. I grew up in a small town where nothing ever happened except on Sunday when the New York Times was delivered, mm. and I learned about you know it was like a magic carpet to this you know incredible aisle where they had you know music and dance and concerts and and uh, plays and films. And, you know, art and, uh, you know, we looked at the Hirschfeld drawings and being 13 years old in this small town in Pennsylvania was, uh, I didn't need to know what was going on on Broadway, but I knew what was going on on Broadway because I looked at the Hirschfeld drawings. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people were like that. There was just a more, I think there was more uh, understanding and appreciation in, in many ways for the theater because of Hirschfeld, because his drawings, you know, they, they always made you feel good. Yeah. 
Indeed. You know, even if you had no interest in the subject, the drawings themselves were compelling to look at. You know, um, and in many ways, it's funny today. Young audiences look at the drawings in a way that you and I do not. Mm. You know, when we look at the drawings, we bring our experience of seeing the shows or the performers um, to the work. And whether we want to or not, it colors our understanding of the work. We might even get some of the wit of the work if we know who uh, the, a Carol Channing is or uh, even a Jason Robards or uh-huh. a Julie Andrews. Um, but young audiences today look at his work like maybe you and I look at Toulouse-Lautrec's work. You know, when you see his drawings or his posters of Jane Avril, you're not looking at that for their documentary nature. Uh, even if, you know, I'm sure people at the time thought it was, you know, he really captured her, you know, the essence of the, those performances. Uh, but today we look at them for their aesthetic nature. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm sure we're missing some of the sort of the the frisson of, hey, I know who this person is because I saw her last week, or she was great in this show. Yeah. Um, so that we miss that, but to say that, or, or look at a John Singer Sargent portrait. We don't know who most of those people are, yet they're very compelling to look at. And I would argue that Hirschfeld is is like that. It's, there's a reason why the National Portrait Gallery, both in America and England, collect his drawings, because they capture the essence of the people. They are great portraits done from a unique point of view. Hmm. So he died at the age of 99. That was in, in yeah. 2003. Well, uh, I, I'm just curious for, for, for my own self. But what was the last show he saw? And, and I guess he worked to the end, did he, or...? Oh, he worked up until the day before he died. Really? Yeah. Um, doing great drawings. Uh-huh. I mean, this he subverted the traditional uh, arc of an artist's career where they spend time figuring out who they are, they have their peak moment, and then there's the inevitable decline. Hirschfeld found out who he was at a very young age, had an audience in the millions by the time he was 25 in 1928, and only became more popular and better at what he did mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, I did a, uh, a retrospective of his work for the New York Historical Society in 2015 called The Hirschfeld Century. Yeah. And the last wall of the show were drawings he had done in the last 18 months of his life. Because I wanted to show people that the drawings at the end may be the best work he ever did. And that's saying something because there are great drawings. You know, you look at the new book and you get to see... Even in that book, you can look at the first drawing and the last drawing, and you're not going to say, boy, he, he starts really falling down here in the, yeah, in the later yeah, works. Yeah. They're still magical and, and wonderful. And the, the last drawing to appear uh, in the paper was of uh, Tommy Toon in a show called White Ties and Tales. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a way, I think it was a very appropriate one to sort of close out 75 years, really 76 years of drawing the theater, because... Here he captured Tommy Toon with many different legs, uh, making it seem, making it look easy. You know, he captured this sort of casual elegance of Tommy Toon. And I would argue it captures the casual elegance of Hirschfeld, because with a Hirschfeld drawing, it looks so easy. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it looks, well, it's just one line. Huh? <laughs> How hard can that be? Yeah. And I would, I would just uh, challenge you to try it yourself whether it's a, a brand-new drawing or copying one of Hirschfeld's drawings. There's a couple of drawings in the book uh, that are as, as 
single line practically. And yet when you try to do it, you'll find out it's a lot harder than it looks. So you're also creative director of the uh, Al Hirschfeld Foundation. Um, you, you mentioned yep. a moment ago the, the value of uh, One Piece. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would assume that that uh, he's his work is still in demand, and and the price for for his work that's only gone up over the last few years, especially. Oh God, yeah. I mean, uh, um, it, the, the 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 market for his work continues to grow, mm-hmm. and there was recently a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal where this expert uh, 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 was talking about how Hirschfeld's drawings, um, the prices have room to grow, and that she ex- expects them to be in six figures and not too long. Wow. You know, uh, because there is no, you know, there was nobody before Hirschfeld who was doing what Hirschfeld did. I yeah. mean, there were plenty of caricaturists. There were lots of people who drew the theater. Yet their work looks very much of their time period. Whereas Hirschfeld's works continue to look fresh, and there was no, there was nobody after Hirschfeld. There's wonderful artists drawing the theater today, uh, Squigs, uh-huh. uh, Ken Fallon. They do great work, but they're no Hirschfeld, and they would be the first to tell you that. I mean, he had something that was truly unique. You know, how many artists can say they have a drawing style that is instantly identifiable? You know, you could see a, a section of a Hirschfeld drawing. And you would know it was Hirschfeld. Yeah. Now, if that section included Nina, it would be really easy. But uh, um, uh, he he literally created a style of work. Um, animators love Hirschfeld's work. They've studied it for decades. Yeah. Because in terms of movement, he can do in one drawing what it takes them 24 frames to do. And most importantly, he captures the character of what they uh, of the of the individual that he's drawing, and for animators, that's the really toughest part. You know, you can make it look very lifelike and whatnot, but how do you give it a, a, a character that people can relate to? And uh, you know, Disney, I think, sort of discovered caricature around the same time as Hirschfeld did. Yeah. And Disney animators studied his work for a long time. Um, I don't think they necessarily pulled from each other. But you look at something as far back as Snow White, and the characters in Snow White that don't look real are not the dwarfs, but are Snow White and Prince Charming who look like mannequins at Mm. best. They're anatomically correct. I mean, Hirschfeld felt that once you put in five fingers on a hand in animation, you were were missing the possibilities of what you could do. Whereas the dwarfs in, in Snow White, they are caricatures. They they use exaggeration, yet they feel more real than these than the ones that look real, because they've got that character in them. Where Snow White looks just stiff, Prince Charming looks stiff, and uh, and and that's what her show was all about. That exaggeration doesn't take you out of the world; it brings you into it. Yeah. You know, David, I could talk all day with you because um, <laughs> there's, there's literally a, a century's worth of stuff that we could talk about. Um, uh, the, the book is beautiful, Please. and it, it's a, a marvelous you. book. Congratulations and continued good luck with it. And I urge people to go to the uh, this, this museum of, uh, of Broadway to, to see the work itself. Uh, I so appreciate your time today. Thanks for this. Sure. Well, they can also go to alhirschfeldfoundation.org uh, mm-hmm. um, where they can look up anything that Hirschfeld ever did. Um, there we have over seven thousand images on there, which means we still have another three thousand or so to go. 
Um, but you can look it up by performer, by production, by date, by publication, by type. If you want to know the theater drawings he did in 1942, very easy to do. Or if you want to know what the dance drawings he did in the 1970s, very easy to do. You know, so it's an opportunity to um, to see all of his work. And then we also have curated online exhibitions that um, explore whole different parts of his work. And the New Yorker said that it's one of the rare cases where an online exhibition might be better than than a one in the in real life, because on the online you can blow up, you know, you can zoom in on the drawings, mm. and you know that help that help people find newness. You're doing important work, David. Thanks again. Oh, uh, thank you. You take care. The website for more is at alhirschfeldfoundationshop.org. There's also alhirschfeldfoundation.org. The book is called The American Theater as Seen by Hirschfeld, 1962-2002. to Its uh, editor, David Leopold, joined me on the line from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.